This episode of Good Sheilas is proudly sponsored by Colmeo Designs. Colmeo Designs is a bloody excellent lady startup created by a very talented mum, Yana. Colmeo Designs hand makes beautiful standout pieces of jewellery which will take your outfit from tired to inspired. Tragic to magic. Pedestrian to equestrian. <laughs> okay, we ran out. Visit Colmeo Designs, K-O-L-M-I-O, on Instagram and support an excellent local business. Listeners get 25% off at checkout by entering the code GOODSHEELERS. Fun fact about Bronn. Bronn is terrible at showing vulnerability. Once while teaching, she had a funny tummy, and instead of excusing herself and letting the students play out, she shut her pants. No! <laughs> That's right. She literally prefers <laughs> the warm sensation of diarrhea running down her skinny jeans in a public place to admitting that she isn't okay. <laughs> oh, you really showed them. Yeah, I won. They lost. Winner. Solid like a rock. It wasn't solid. It was very well. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Good Sheilas, the podcast that will turn your stomach and warm your heart as we reflect on what makes all of us tick. I'm Bron, a Melbourne comedian. And I'm Claire, a human rights lawyer. And we're longtime friends, short-time mums and lifetime dickheads. Each episode we tackle something in the media as well as something in life that has kicked us in the gut. So strap yourselves in, mongrels, and get ready for Good Sheilas. Woo! <laughs> Ready for a buddy. <laughs> oh, this episode, episode 13, by the way, is going to be interesting. It is an interesting dynamic. Why is that, bro? Let's talk it out. Let's talk about it. <laughs> So I have arrived at Claire's house into the studio, aka Claire's bedroom, where a soft toy is lying there, and I'm sure a dog's turd will be around here somewhere. Uh, and she, that's mine. <laughs> she has uh, is on the last glass of a one liter bottle of white wine. I'm living the dream. <laughs> I'm coping fine. This is. This is $9 a litre. It tastes like sadness. you so stone cold sober. I am. And I... She's drinking green tea. What a fucking arsehole. Yeah, well, that tastes like sadness. (laughs) It does. Especially watching you drink that cheap shit. And I'm filthy with jealousy. But alas, so that we so we've got a sober one and a very drunk one tonight. Good dynamic. You're and, welcome. And so one of us will make sense, and one of us will pass out. So I'm looking forward to carrying this. <laughs> Good on you, mate. So what's been happening in the news lately, Claire? So the culture of cancellation. Stop laughing at everything I say. That doesn't help the dynamic. Okay, sorry. It's just a leader of wine, bro. <laughs> Get it's over not it. Not that much. <laughs> the culture of cancellation. <laughs> so it's good and doing okay. well. Continues. So what happened in San Fran, bro? Yeah. 
some lady was cancelled. Oh, she was so publicly shamed. So this lady who was he's been called the ultimate Karen mm. in San Francisco stopped a man who was um, drawing in chalk on his own wall of his house on the outside. She wasn't in there, and he wrote he was writing Black Lives Matter, and she took it upon herself to tell him that he shouldn't be doing that, and then she called the police, assuming mm. because he wasn't white that that was not his house. And he filmed it and it became, it went viral. Everyone was like, so this is the problem. And she the way that she was speaking to him was so patronising. She wasn't swearing at him. She wasn't being, like, she didn't think that she was being disrespectful. But it was that undercurrent of, like, oh, like, like horrific, insidious. paternalistic, yeah. like, I know because I'm the upper class. Exactly. And she, like, she looks like a Karen. She looks like she's got longer hair than a Karen, the Karens we know, <laughs> but it is, um, it is, but she is like, she's the, she epitomized that. And so we've, we've found comedy in it, but at the same time, she deserves to be cancelled. She is cancelled, but what did she do that was different? Okay. So this is why, this is the other side is where she might not have deserved to be cancelled because she apologized. So she came out, well, she didn't really have any like option. They lost everything, right? Yeah. He lost his job. Her they husband were lost his job. Shamed on social media. They were at rock bottom. Yeah. So she came out and said, "I'm like so sorry. I was disrespectful. I'm. I understand that it was racist, and I'm learning from this. And I'm. I, I. I. I need. I need everyone to know that I'm so sorry, and I know that I was in the wrong. And so that was really great that she came out and said that. It doesn't excuse what she did, but this is the the, the point where I. Th- saw her as a human is in this moment where she accepted that she did something wrong. Great. Who has not done that? Michelle Laurie. Michelle Laurie is doubling down. She is a media figure in Australia that you might all be aware of, and she made some comments about blackface. What did she say, Bron? Oh, this was many, 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 many years ago, around the time I shat my pants. Oh, good for you. It was a time, so it was, you guys remember the time on, um, you guys, you and the soft toy, and you whine? I'm talking to a group of you here. talking to a leader in the year. <laughs> Audience going off. It is, um, it was around the time, the, the Hey Hey It's Saturday um, came back for a very, very short time. It was an absolute disaster. But um, the, some contestants on it uh, did back, blackface um, and it was not received very well. And she wrote on Twitter that blackface has no relevance in Australia, as in we should not be offended by it. Mm. And it, uh, it, that has that came back into people's news feeds. Someone had taken a screenshot of it or something like this and then Michelle Laurie came back at with that with, hey, that was so long ago. My audience was for Brisbane people, which is offensive to Brisbane people. Um, uh, and this was – it was ages ago and I can't believe people are tro- like scrolling through a Twitter account that I have cancelled. This is just disgusting and you guys are trying to ruin me. And now she's saying what? Well, let's compare and contrast because Michelle Laurie had a historical moment, right, where she was drawing back. Josh Thomas has also had a historical moment. What did Josh Thomas do? He was on a panel. He was on a panel and he – so Josh Thomas is adorable. Adorable. Everyone loves him. him. Uh, Australian comedian. And he uh, had the show Please Like Me. He's um, been given so many – like enormous opportunities to show how talented he is and one of those opportunities was to create a telly show and he will number of them isn't hasn't there been isn't there been isn't there been i have drunk the liter of wine from this stone cold sober and just a little bit slow <laughs> <Is> <laughs> just a little 
bad. No, not silver. Um, he has Good. a series which is syndicated on Stan, so he's been paid for, you know, a, a 10-episode telly show, which is a pretty big deal, shot and set in America. And um, he was recorded on a forum in two, 2016 talking about the need to get diversity in acting, and he was talking to Judd Apatow. And they were talking about the importance of getting genuine diversity in casting. And he said some really terrible things, basically saying that he had really talented white mates and that he had to give up their spots, these talented, clever people, to make way for less experienced people who weren't white. Why was that wrong, Bron? Because the reason why there's less uh, well, less people going into the arts or, you know, say acting in this case is probably because they're underrepresented mm. in that. And so this is a systemic thing. It's a, if, someone, if, if, if an Aboriginal kid is looking at the telly and there's no Aboriginal kids on that, uh, people on that telly show, that child understands that there is no space in that world for them. Mm. So the people creating these shows needs to see that as more of the pro, as more of the point rather than no my my mate's actually pretty good at acting yeah he's really good at the ukulele <laughs> and I really feel like he has a shot at making it big and the other the other problem with what he said was this assumption right that all of his mates were super talented. And deserved a shot where other people were taking up that space. And that is a really dangerous one because it assumes that, you know, the white people in the room are better. But what Josh did, and thank God because I really, really like, I like him, him he apologised. He said, I was an idiot. I was so ag- arrogant. It was, a, it was a while ago. I was, I didn't, I had not thought my point through before mm. I took a microphone and I am so sorry and I'm working on this. Um and so this is the, I feel like this is the point where people get cancelled and people don't get cancelled. Michelle Laurie, it's weird because she, she says didn't. it's. She didn't. She didn't. No, she did not. And, you know, I don't know everything. That's, she said that she's been hacked. I'm not really that interested in looking any further into it. But we, these are just examples of people Doubling who apologise. down. Yeah. The way to not get cancelled or the way to not be a dick mm-hmm. is if you've done something wrong, even if it's in the past, like being a, like being a little bit accidentally racist and being like, oh well, I was young. It's you still need to say sorry or if being that comes actually up. Actually, racist and being like, yeah. actually, I was a real fucking dick and I'm part of the problem and I'm gonna reflect and I'm gonna I'm gonna learn. That's that's even harder, right? Like yeah. being accidentally a dick is one thing, but saying I'm part of the issue is another thing. And that's what Josh Thomas has done here, right? He's mm. like, I was actually a systemic driver of this inequality in the entertainment industry. I'm going to get better. Yeah. No, good on him. And that's great. So what have we learned today about the <sighs> uncomfortableness of calling someone out front? So as you guys know, we love to air our relationship on this <laughs> show. And we had a, a bit of a, um interaction earlier this evening which made us both learn a lot about how it feels to call someone out. So we were scoping the podcast and talking about what we would and wouldn't talk about. And... Um, we had a bit of an exchange which left us both in an uncomfortable silence. And I knew straight away that, as we know each other very well, that something had gone very wrong. I didn't know what it was. And it took some, you know, tussling and extracting to figure out that I'd hurt your feelings. But getting to that point was really, really difficult because you felt really uncomfortable calling me out. 
we don't have to go into what you called me out about, but why was it so hard to say, hey, Claire, you hurt me? Yeah, I, and that's the other thing. I don't, I don't, I didn't feel hurt. I felt annoyed. Mm-hmm. But this, so it's, it's when you, and when it's someone, when it's someone who's not in my way, <laughs> I, I don't, and I, like, I'm not like, you know, what people on, on Facebook or Instagram, someone makes a post, someone doesn't like it. Like, I'm not the person who will go in and say, I don't like what you said. I don't like this. I'm not very confrontational. Mm-hmm. I would rather walk away and never see that person ever again mm. or unfollow them. I would but then happily podcast un- to be ruined. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You'll be sitting here with a litter of wine <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> Missing the lady in Shanna pants. It is, but it, it, so when someone is in my life and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, I don't, I just, I don't really like conflict. I would happily let it go. But this is something because I see you so often. Too and, much. Oh, tell me about it. I have to, like, <laughs> I, I had to kind of, my, I had no you choice. You didn't, yeah, because you didn't have a choice because I was like, what's wrong? What's yeah. wrong? Are you okay? What happened? What's wrong? And we've gotten to this really interesting point in our relationship where we're being more honest about that, which is quite new. But the interesting part of it is that if we didn't tackle that, if we didn't have a conversation about that, our relationship would have been impacted for a a couple of weeks we've been awkward around each other because it was the unsaid right but the interesting and hard bit is when you say hey you hurt me and then I have to respond and say I'm sorry it's hard it, it's it's painful yeah because I imagine so what I was probably dreading is saying this is what I this is what you do that annoys me and yeah. you uh, what would what I was dreading is you saying I don't do that you do that. <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. So, so, and I'd be like, oh, my God. And then I'd feel like we're just going around in circles. Yeah. And then I know what I'd do. I'd eventually go, okay, just, just please, can we not talk about it anymore? And then I would. Which is where you started from. We started yeah. trying to talk about it. But I would it. just end up doing that. So I felt like it was inevitably going to get to that point yeah. where I'd say, Claire. Let's just cut to the end. <laughs> I just need to go outside and key your car and go home. <laughs> Fuck's sake! <laughs> You're the That's worst rude. driver. Uh, but the the I think leading into our next conversation, it's really fucking hard to tell the truth about how we feel about each other, and it's really really hard to talk about how we feel ourselves. And cool segue because the data is in, mates, and COVID has really done a number on our poor pandemic adult brain. Symptoms of anxiety, stress and depression in the community have risen between 13 and 21% and roughly one person in every five is now experiencing clinically relevant depression symptoms. The Black Dog Institute reports that one in five, that's 20% of Australians aged between 16 and 85, experience a mental illness at some stage in their life. But let's take a deeper look at the Black Dog itself. Depression. Woohoo! <laughs> that mangy beast has high has high lifetime prevalence. One in seven Australians will experience depression in their lifetimes. And depression has the third highest burden of all diseases, which is thirteen percent, both nationally and globally. And when I say the burden of the disease, I'm re- referring to the total impact of a disease, and that's measured by financial cost, mortality, morbidity and a whole host of other economic and social indicators. So the ripple effects of depression on someone's life seem to be extensive. But are they only impacting the person with depression, or are there more sufferers of this dreaded illness that these stats don't show? 
Today we're talking about how mental illness has pissed in our own pockets, both ours and those around us. So Claire, what's your history <laughs> of mental illness? Well, this is cool. This is fun. This is good. Let's loosen up. This is a comedy yeah, podcast. Let's drink another liter of wine. Look, mate, that's not great. How about yours? <laughs> Okay, all right. So when Claire and I talk about mental illness, um, like we've both had our own moments with it, but um, I feel like the biggest kind of hill I've had to climb is my mum's depression. And don't worry, I have asked Helen's permission to talk about this and she was she seemed at the time act- okay with it. She might have changed her mind, but too late, Helen. Here we go. It's done. It's on the internet. <laughs> Depression is real. <laughs> so uh, I grew up with um, a mum who her name is Helen and she was a single mum for a very long time, has uh, achieved so many things in her life and just when life seemed to be getting a bit easier, her business was thriving, she had a house that um, seemed to be standing up, she was in a relationship uh, with the father of my young sister who and he loved the family so much everything on paper looked fine but mum I guess it was like a combination of everything and everything for for mum just dissolved and growing up with that her like that was really hard Mm. so an example um and again mum knows all of this stuff um is uh she would not talk for what would seem like days and she was immovable out of that that zone that she was in and as a kid growing up um, with some, someone who and like I said she was a single mum for a really long time for so for a really long time it was just mum and my nan that I really knew to be the people who helped um, me survive uh, my mum became less so and that was scary what would you do in those moments when she was really dark and low? Oh, I feel like I was, I was always trying to fix it. Like I'd be like, mm. okay, maybe I will like, maybe I will um, yell at her. Maybe I will tell her how much this is hurting. Or maybe I will pretend like she's not like that. Or maybe I'll stop talking to her. Or maybe I'll show her how that is, that how it feels to be iced out. Mm. And... Um, the reality of that is she probably didn't notice, you know, Uh, and um, it sounds like I'm, it sounds, for me, this, like when I talk about mum's depression or my childhood or anything, it feels like I would be going to be, going to burst into tears, but I've, I'm definitely not going to, I feel like I've survived it. Um, But I also, I, I, and my mum knows this as well. I, there is a, like a, like a pebble of resentment mm. when it comes to, you know, growing up with mum like that. What do you think it's done to you and the way you look at the world and deal with the world to have had that context? 
Oh, look, I'm a, mental health, because it's everywhere and I've had a, you know, I have my own like little bout of fun times <laughs> with it. I, I feel uh, impatient with it. Mm. So I, yeah. We make a lot of jokes about the, on the podcast about your invulnerability and how you're so resilient and so immovable. Do you think that like that's a coping mechanism? Uh, oh my god, I don't know. I, maybe, but I don't. I yeah. I, and I do. I, I I know that I can. Some of people think I'm quite like icy sometimes. But I feel if things are getting a bit too real, if someone has too many like negative emotions about something, or if they are not, if their mood is just generally quite sour, um, I will pretend they're not there. And because it's a how you've had to cope, right? It's like how you've had to deal with things. Yeah, and look, it's really helpful sometimes. It's great. You, you, you're you just fucking like you pummel through. It's amazing. Yeah, and I will not it's a gift. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Helen. <laughs> <laughs> but it did like it, and and Mum taught me so many things in that time. Um, you know, like someone who's a really solid parent is going to teach you, I guess a lot of things and you will obviously look back at those and be like mum was so warm and affectionate and she taught me how to love this thing and she taught me how to cook and oh god that those moments with her bonding were just they made me the woman that I am but I honestly Who's think mom's that? <laughs> um, it's not us mate. our kids are not going to say that but you know I remember like girl girls at school in primary school their mums would you know, have time to do that stuff. My mum never had time for that. And then when depression came in, she couldn't have time for that. Mm. And so, but I look back at that time and I know my mum's depression helped me become who I am. And even though sometimes it looks like it is like I am um, a psycho, (laughs) I I genuinely am grateful for that. Mm. I'm grateful for it. But it was, it, yeah, I do think that, Mental illness. It was hard, mate. Like it I, was hard. Yeah. Look, it was hard, but I do. I like. I do think that people who have depression um, can't change it. I know that they can't get out of it. It is a, this little. And my mum, the way that mum's described it, is um, it's like being in a, a black room and you can't get out, yeah. which sounds like torture. Yeah, it sounds horrific. Um, and so I, I know that people can't help it and if they could, they would definitely change it. But for me, it hits a nerve and I can't go anywhere near it. I, yeah. I feel like when someone is that low, I'm like, all right, let me know when you're better. <laughs> See ya. And that's interesting in the context of our relationship because maybe once a year or so, and it's pretty timeable, um, I, for a couple of weeks, fall into a really, really dark place. And that's happened with some regularity for as long as I can remember. And I can track it on the clock. It's almost around, always around winter. And I just, I, I can't, I can't describe it. Like there's a, there's a hook or a trigger and I just, I just collapse. It's just like, the world underneath me opens up and I lose all purpose and I lose all focus and I lose all meaning and all I want in that little period is to not live. And it's been a really interesting and marked thing to navigate in our friendship because the last couple of years I think it's really hit a boundary with us because you have your own trauma 
with depression and the experience of being subject to somebody who's in that space and then I am in that space and it's become really insurmountable to the point where last year I think we had a real kind of interesting precipice in our friendship where you were subject to that really dark impenetrable moment like a really low low moment where I couldn't communicate and I couldn't speak and I couldn't articulate where I was and for you that was everything that you endured in your childhood and for us it like it impacted our friendship for months like at one point I was like oh god well there there she goes (laughs) there goes my limb like there goes my you know my family and this year it happened after Molly and I separated and it happened only recently and I I felt it coming I felt that darkness coming and then it came and my response to it is to go inside and to because you know that the interesting thing about depression is that your brain is telling you that you're not worth anything and that you are a burden and that you are not useful and that people are better off without you and my brain was screaming that at me and so the instinct is to hide it away and I wanted to reach out and I tried to in my own way, but that way was really not positive. It wasn't it wasn't constructive. It was just like reaching out but then having nothing to give. And I'm on the way out of it. <laughs> like I'm on the other end, which is really lovely. Like I have got climbed out of that pit. But we had a really important an interesting conversation last week about what that felt like for you and the reality is that when I'm there that when I am in those pits and when I am demonstrating all those things that happen when you're really really sad like you can't communicate you can't speak you can't articulate who you are or where you are or what you feel or what you mean but to the people around you that has a gigantic impact And we talked about boundaries in that and we had a really kind of confronting and important conversation about how we navigate that going forward because we recognise that we're going to be friends with each other for a long time and that our lives are really entwined and that they're really important to each other. But this is one point where we can't actually help each other. Yeah. I will, I wait, when you get those dark patches every winter, here it happens again Hi. and again. <laughs> I, um, I, I feel like I'm holding my breath because yeah. I know, I know I can't, I know I can't help you no. and I want to, but I, I'm like, I, I, I know this, I know this mangy black dog is going to sit on your chest for a while and I can't, like, I'm not good with animals. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the thing and that's. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to know that when you're sad and when you're like that, when you're in that place, it hurts other people. And one thing that I'm having to learn as I get older is that it's inevitable for me. It's how my brain works. It goes in these cycles and I go to these depths and I have to drag myself out of them. And I know that historically I have and I can. But with us, it, it it hurts you 
right? Mm. It's, it's triggering. It's really triggering. It takes you back to a place in your childhood which is hard and harmful and painful and you see me and I present in the same way that your mother did because mm. I, I can't respond. I can't give you anything. I can't say this is what I need. And that for you was really fucking hard. Yeah. So when we look at the statistics of, of depression and it's 20% of people in Australia are got, uh, suffer from this. And it is something that it's not just you don't just get depression once. It no, is going. It's going to keep ever. coming back like a cold sore. It will raise its mean old head, and then it will sit there, quite just like a cold sore, obviously and painfully. And people have to try and pretend they they can't see it. Mm. Oh my god, it's a fucking cold sore. <laughs> it's a cold sore. It's a cold sore in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but it's right in the middle of your face, Claire. And we're all trying desperately hard not to notice that it's bleeding. But I guess I get. The thing that I'm learning is is knowing, I suppose, the spaces around you and knowing who can and can't take that burden. And I think the, the really important discussion around depression is that it's okay to say that you're not okay and it's okay to seek help. And that is unequivocally important. Like it saves lives, that narrative. But I think what's missing is the impact in the circle around you and having that kind of presence and understanding about what hurts the people in your periphery, right? Yeah. And so what I've learned, what I'm learning, and this is only a very new realisation, is that I need to reach out to other people when I get there because it hurts you in different ways. It triggers you in different ways and can impact your mental health mm. in really detrimental ways and that I am accountable to that and to you. It's so tricky because, like I was saying before, if 20% of people in Australia suffer uh, suffer from at some point, then that means that even if you own 80% that doesn't suffer from it, then mm. you probably have someone in your life who does suffer from it. And the way that you soak in that that depression, and you are you are, like if you see someone you love hurting like that, if you see them metaphorically in a black room that they cannot get out of, that is traumatic in itself you're like oh god I really want to help you and it feels weird when someone's like I don't know how you can help me right now when physically they look like you know they look the same everything in their life seems the same depression doesn't make sense no but it is so annoying to be around because you're like I want to help you right now so it is if 20% of people have suffered it then there's 80% of people those other 80% of people are more more like most likely have experienced it secondhand Mm. and we can't we can't um I think it's really important that we acknowledge that that is traumatic in itself I'm not I'm not necessarily talking about myself I'm talking about all the other people who've probably not been able to put words to that it's Mm -hmm. watching someone else suffer Mm -hmm. suffer it's like you know you know someone's had a horrible car accident that you love and you will feel sick about it. You're like, oh, my God, I just want to need to help them. I want to do this. But you are helpless. You can't fix that thing or help help that person in any way. And maybe for the rest of your life you feel nervous every time someone beeps the car. Hmm. You know? Yeah, it's very strong. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about, like, are you okay day, I love that. I, I thought I, I think are you okay day is a really wonderful thing. Mm, uh, it is. It's really, really important, and I, I guess it's it's okay to say you're not okay. Like I, I don't, I don't want this conversation to be framed around that it's not, because that's not what we're saying. I, I suppose it's just 
understanding where you can and can't go, right? Yeah. And, and knowing and knowing those relationships in, in your life. and But that unpacking has been really, really fraught for us. It's been really, really challenging. It's taken us years and years and years to understand to get to this point. I mean, I remember, like, when we were, like, in our early 20s, being, you know, having these conversations and not being able to articulate it, but kind of navigating the impact of the reality that my depression was really fucking hard for you. And not understanding that made us made, made our, our relationship really complex and really fraught. And we've come to an agreement now or an understanding that, you know, during that time we have to deal with each other differently. And I will continue with my life and you will bury yourself under the house. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a really great idea. <laughs> no, but I, I guess that's, that's, yes, that's, not, that's not the point. The, the point is that... Everyone, everyone has an impact, right? When, when we, we don't operate in a silo and, you know, Josh Thomas and Michelle Laurie kind of have opinions that don't affect other people and they have a platform and a gravity. But as individuals, we also have a platform and a gravity and we affect one another and that effect can be positive or negative. And for you and I, I'm not saying that we should be the standpoint or, you know, the, you know how everybody else should act but we we should a, never be no anyone else. no this is very do not if you listen to us for advice you're an idiot if you are <laughs> drinking a liter of wine or a green tea right now you are a fucking idiot idiot you're all idiots <laughs> but the, the, i guess this is more a reflection of our own relationship than it is a commentary on how other people should behave we have we have navigated the the challenges of mental health and realise that it is fucking way more complex than just what somebody is feeling. It and is, it's more complex than Are You Okay Day. Uh, this is, so I feel, it that, is I love, right. Yeah. It's right. It's true. It's important. It's, it's, it's so important. I love that it's there, but I think it's also really important uh, to say, like, if you are not the person, if you don't want to say, are you okay, yeah. without them saying, yeah, I'm fine. If you, if you are, like, nervous about them saying, no, I'm not fine because if that makes you anxious, you do not have to understand ask them if they're okay you'll be like okay well that's going to make me really stressed and I'm going to feel sick all day and it's going to feel like I've just shat my pants <laughs> we've all felt like that you were you do not have to ask that person if they're okay yeah. you text someone who you know who knows them and say I don't reckon they're all right do you reckon you could check in on them yeah and that's okay and it took me a really really long time to understand that and I think we've only realized this last week when last we had week, that conversation last week, mate. when I was like I don't know how to help you and I'm really stressed and you were like guess what you don't have to and I was like holiday <laughs> here we go wait um, celebrate I'm I had to get it <laughs> by myself <laughs> okay bye <laughs> but I I guess you know I, I think this is a very individual conversation but the, the broader conversation is about how normal it is to not be feeling okay right now right yeah you know and the data that it's not and yes, it might be a fucking hard, shitty conversation where you might make people feel uncomfortable, but it's okay to have that conversation. And it's up to you if you're subject to that conversation to be like, actually, I'm not safe here and you should talk to somebody else. And this is the part of growing up, right? It's it's knowing your triggers and knowing yourself and knowing what hurts you and what mm. what, what 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 is not a safe place for you. And you've identified, Bron, that 
other people's depression is deeply triggering for you and you need to like that's a pathway that you need to figure out and you need to work through but right now you're not there you're not ready no and I might not ever get there and that's okay because honestly, who the fuck wants to hang around with a sad person? Claire, am I right? Up top, up top. Oh, she's, she's in a hole. <laughs> but I do, uh, yeah. I reckon it's. Um, I reckon there's going to be a lot of people out there, adults and uh, and probably teenagers who've had parents who've gone through a shit bit. Yeah. And that would be that. I think that giving you time to process that of knowing of what, like watching your parent become a human. And a bit of a broken human yeah. is very sobering. <laughs> Maybe not for you tonight, but it is a sobering. It's a sobering experience and one that you will remember forever. And my mum is an incredible mum. Every single person who meets her just loves her, mm. and her depression is very hidden from the world. And so when it when it happens, she is at home. She yeah. will that she. I mean, she'll have to go to work sometimes, but she'll excuse herself from a lot of things, which is really normal for people with depression. But Mm. I, as her child, was not, I was not exempt from that. Mm. And that's that's really interesting because you, like, in my dad points, like, you call yourselves into the bit where you have to perform. Like, I always manage to keep myself afloat at work and just do, you know, exactly what I have to do to keep my job. Because I know that if I can't do that, like I can't pay the rent, but everything else, like that, that's a tiny bit of energy I have. Everything else behind it just crumbles. And mm. there was a point a few weeks ago where I went to your house actually, and your mum was there, <laughs> and I and you had depression. It was a I had depression. I was so sad, and I came to your house, and I think I stayed for maybe an hour. And I could barely function, right? Like I mm. was, I was, I wasn't saying anything. I was just like, and I left because I knew that I was a toxic kind of entity in that environment. And I came home, and even though my daughters were there, I I, I lay on the couch and I just I I moaned, like I cried so much that I was moaning, and I had to call Wally, you know, the girl's dad, to help and. I couldn't, I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything. All I could do was cry. And, and this is the depths of fucking grim. They're really hard. And what you've also had to learn recently because you're recently separated, you've also had to try and navigate this without Wally. And I called him that night. I did because I didn't know who else to call. But I have to learn to not call him. I have to learn to be on my own. And that's really, that's that's hard. Like the idea that, like this year, I did it on my own. I did that that dark bit on my own. It was the like those bits where I was by myself, like questioning my place in the world, questioning my value, questioning what I was and the burden that I felt like I was. Mm. And and doing that by myself was so hard. And knowing that I have to do it again by myself is, I don't know, like I, I can't even articulate what that feels like, but I just have to. Like what choice do I have? I just have to. And this is the reality of people who, are, you know, have this presence, the black dog, however you want to characterise it. Like it lives in your brain. It comes out when it wants. And 
it overtakes you and there's a rationality in there where you have to be like, okay, well, what do I have? What resources do I have? And what do I just have to accept? I have to navigate by myself. And the fear is that at some point you can't and at some point you it will overcome you but you have to have that trust that you will be enough to be okay and that the value that you have in your life and the people around you is enough to be okay. Yeah. And you are like you are okay. You are okay, Claire. You can drink a whole liter of wine, but you are. But also, but you do. But you. It is your responsibility to yourself, to and your kids, is to find that person that you can be like. Actually, I need. I really need to lean on someone right now. Yeah. And I'm really sorry. I'm not that person. I'm kind of. I can be for a bit, and then I don't know how to do. But um, you. So we're taking applications. Uh, if you think you could be Claire's carer, if you think Mind you got it, just text me. Yeah, just text me. See, she's all right. Because you do have two little girls, and like they do, they, it's really scary seeing your mum not okay. It's yeah. also normal. It's also super normal. But very damaging, turns out. Turns out you turn out like a strong, independent woman who will shit her pants whenever she damn well Has wants. No feelings. <laughs> None. It's a, it's a wild it's time. magic. It's a superpower. <laughs> it is. I have an X Man. No feelings. Oh, this has gone real dark, real deep. It has, but it needed to happen because there has been a number of weeks where you have pushed through your depression for us to record and you have been such a fucking soldier and I'm so proud of you and you will get through this bit until next winter where it comes again and I will run for the hills. <laughs> no, I will I will be here in my very in my not very good way, but I will I will try. But today we we have it has been quite serious, much more serious than it has been funny. Um, but that's because no. it needed to happen. Yeah, it needed, it needed to, to happen. happen. It deserved to happen. It deserved to be spoken about, and you've yes. done it very eloquently. And I'm very proud of you. And if you're out there and you're not okay, there's a lot of services that are out there for you. Um, there's hotlines. There are the Are You Okay website. There's a lot of resources, and you know, I'm here. I'll talk. I'm very lonely. <laughs> I'm no, busy. She's busy. I'm busy. But, you know, there is a community of people who want to help and there are resources and, you know, we're here. Yes. And if you do, if you are unsure, if you are unsure that you, you, one of your friends that you are leaning on is feeling a bit overwhelmed by that or um, anxious by that, I think the conversation is so important. We had it last week. We have, we are now um, such a successful friendship. So healthy. It's such a good podcast. <laughs> but it is, it is a saying, like, is this too much for you? And it is okay for you to say, yes, there are other yeah. people. And that is, and that's what we did last week. And we are fine. It's got boundaries. It's got boundaries. It's and healthy. I, I'm creating heaps I would <laughs> one is on your wine um it's gone but th- thanks for listening to episode it is a gone. gone episode 13 and um we will catch you guys next, next week. week bye